Hackensack Meridian Children's Health is comprised of two nationally ranked children's hospitals by U.S. News and World Report and are number one in New Jersey. K. Hafnadian Children's Hospital in Neptune and Joseph M. Sanzari Children's Hospital in Hackensack, as well as pediatric inpatient and outpatient services at JFK University Medical Center in Edison. With access to expert pediatricians and over 200 pediatric specialists across the state, Hackensack Meridian Children's Health prides itself on offering specialized pediatric medical care and surgical expertise. To learn more about Hackensack Meridian Children's Health, visit hackensackmeridianhealth.org kids. My name is Kate Santangelo. Welcome to the Monmouth Moms podcast, part of the Monmouth Moms Network. Listen in as we bring awareness to the best local resources for growing families in Monmouth County, New Jersey, chat with local moms and mompreneurs, highlight our favorite resources, local spots, restaurants, and more. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone, to the Mammoth Moms podcast. We are in full swing of fall 2023, which is unbelievable to me. Um, I can't, I don't know where this year went. It's just really flown by. I think I say that every year, but it's just, <laughs> it's really, um, it's really fall now. So we are getting ready for our um, fall festival, which is Sunday, October 22nd here at Bell Works. Really excited about that. We'll um, talk a little bit more at the end of the podcast about what to, um, what to, I guess, expect, right? What to look forward to with all the fun things that we have planned. Um, but today we are continuing our um, family health care series with Hackensack Meridian Children's Health. Um, we have a special guest here today, Dr. Mitchell Alpert. He is the Director of Pediatric Cardiology at K. Havnanian Children's Hospital at Jersey Shore University Medical Center. He's the founder of Alpert Zales and Castro Pediatric Cardiology, located in Brick and Middletown, New Jersey. Dr. Alpert Alpert's expertise includes the treatment of congenital heart defects, a topic he has written about. He served with the Sports Science Committee of the United States Tennis Association for close to a decade, where he studied the effects of high-intensity exercise in young athletes and helped to develop safety protocols. Dr. Alpert is board certified in both pediatrics and pediatric cardiology. He is a fellow of He's a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics and also the American College of Cardiology. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, we are going to be talking a little bit about a few different things, right? Why um, children should see the cardiologist. Um, also, some kind of uh, noteworthy, you know, news topics. You see um, cardiac sudden cardiac arrest in children um, more often these days. We we're just talking a little bit before uh, we went on air. Of, you know, why we're hearing a bit more about it, but we're going to talk about prevalence, what to look for, screenings. Um, you know, what you should be concerned about as a parent, um, especially if your children are in sports, right? Um, and then also, I kind of want to note too that um, you were my doctor. <laughs> yes. so, so I hear. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, as a child, you know, as a I guess a tween, teen. I was like, I was in middle school. So um, so funny, small world. Things come full circle. Um, but uh, you treated me for 
vasovagal, or is it neurocardiogenic syncope? What is it? They're both the same. They're both thing. the same. Neurocardiogenic syncope, vasovagal syncope, orthostatic hypotension, they're all similar. And that's part of, we're not going to get too technical, but I know more a little bit more about it, but is it part of POTS? Like the, um, is it in that? POTS is standing for postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome is probably, I would call it the extreme form of orthostatic hypotension, neurocardiogenic syncope. Those are the ones that are really difficult to treat. You know, I mean, uh, that would be the, I would call it the extreme form of what you described with vasovagal syncope. Got it. So what is vasovagal syncope? Vasovagal syncope is a lot of ways to look at it. Basically, there's a vagus nerve that sits over the heart. And if you stimulate it, it slows the heart rate down and you can get dizzy and pass out. In older people, believe it or not, you get it from, men get it from putting their tie on too tight for around the neck. Um, you see it in the adolescent girls from um, combing their hair too much, you know, in the morning, things like that, that produces a vasovagal reaction. Some people get it in the shower in the morning, standing up, they haven't ate anything, they haven't drank anything, they're standing in a hot shower. Their vessels dilate and their blood pressure drops and they fall to the ground. Right. Church is a popular place. Yes. Because, yeah, because, you know, I've been told if someone faints in church, it's always vasovagal, regardless of the age group, they'll prove it otherwise. You don't eat, you don't drink, you rush late to church, it's hot in there, you don't have any place to take your coat off and you stand up and you're gone. Yeah. The, the key with that one is as long as you fall to the ground safely and you have your feet higher than your head, you'll draw the blood back to your head and you'll wake up. But that one tends not to have any long-term side effects, I guess, unless you were leaning over Niagara Falls when it happened. But <laughs> generally speaking, that's not that dangerous. Yeah. So I wasn't even really going to bring it up until um, you arrived this morning, and I was telling you how you you know you were my doctor as a kid, and um, you know my experience with vasobagal, which I thought was kind of a bit more uncommon. Most people don't know what it is when I ta tell it, um, anyone about it, and I also. You know, I, I thought that I'd kind of grown out of it, but but really, as a um, in middle school, I think I, the first time I passed out, I was in um, wood shop, and I don't know. I think I maybe I hit my elbow, but then it was just very, it was it just kept happening over and over, especially like that year. It's scary, right? Um, and especially for parents who you know their child just keeps passing out, and they can't you know they don't know why. But um, um, but I didn't realize how prevalent it is. Yeah, we. I would say we see it at least once a day, mm -hmm. you know, maybe more. It's 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 very common. People okay. stand up, they pass out. I think it has to do with hydration at this point more than anything else. People just don't drink enough fluid. Yeah. And then they go out on a hot day, play sports, and they don't pass out while they're playing sports. But afterwards, when they stand around, they get dizzy, they fall to the ground. People just don't hydrate properly. And I think, I think that's a big deal. The other one is there are people who faint at the sight of blood. And my advice is when they're drawing blood, don't be sitting up. That's sure. what I have to tell. Every time I get my blood drawn, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not a baby. I just, I have to lay down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's such an old thing. That and like just a few other things. But like you said, just, I can't, standing for too long sometimes. And I'm always making sure I'm drinking enough. Um, but also like I take electrolyte tabs and like anything with like, I love salt anyway, so that's never an issue, but. <laughs> yeah, vasovagal syncope or orthostatic hypertension is one of the few situations where we actually encourage people to take salt. You know, I mean, I walk around, I can't take any salt, but I 
tell the kids to take salt and the parents look at me like I'm crazy. Yeah, I used to have to take salt tabs when yeah. I was a kid. And also, um, I forget the medication, but now I don't do any of that. Now it's just more like I kind of know how to manage it. Um, it's, you know, but like some like you said, some more. I woke up one morning a few years ago. I, I hadn't passed out in years. And I think it's actually more frightening as an adult because you're like, what is happening? You're just losing consciousness and you feel yourself going down. So um, it's uh, yeah, it's, you know, something that you just live with. I'm, I'm fine. But um, but interesting and, and funny, small world that, yeah. you know, um, that we know each other in, in some way. Um, so um, is that actually does that happen in younger kids, too, or mostly like does it start in the teen years? It mostly starts in the teen years. And in fact, in the younger kids, when it happens, I start looking for other things. Like, But I will tell you, we have seven-year-olds with this story. Mm -hmm. I start to look for other things, but then I conclude it really was vasovagal syncope in a seven-year-old. But generally, it's an adolescent problem. Right, okay. Um, a pediatric cardiologist, you know, you're a specialist. They, um, I obviously saw you as a child, but not. I've never brought my kids to a cardiologist. Um, should, do you advise that all children should um, be at least seen by a cardiologist to be screened at some point in their lives? Yeah, I mean, the short answer to that is, is no. Not everyone needs to be seen by a pediatric cardiologist. There's a, the longer answer is there's, there's a process. Mm -hmm. You know, um, people, go, people should always be seen by their pediatricians, get screening physicals at least once a year. There's a, there's a point table, 12 to 15 point uh, physical that, uh, that the pediatricians, the primary care physicians go through. And if you pass that screening, um, then you don't need to see a pediatric cardiologist. If you fail the screening, then you do need to see a pediatric cardiologist. A lot of it's based on family history. I mean, God forbid, if you have a parent who died suddenly during sports, there's a good chance you're going to have to see a pediatric cardiologist. If, um, you know, if you've had dizziness, chest pain, passing out, rapid heart rates, if someone hears sounds in there like heart murmurs or extra sounds, you're going to need to see a pediatric cardiologist. But it's a process of screening. I don't think, you know, I won't say no one ever comes off the street and says, I just want my kid checked because it happens. Right. But it's usually part of a, of a longer process of screening that starts in the primary care and works their way up to the pediatric cardiologist. Okay. Um, we have heard a lot in the news, you know, I think probably the last couple of years more prevalent about sudden cardio um, cardiac arrest in children specifically. Um, I think, you know, you do hear often that it's sports related. Um, what is cardiac arrest? Look, most people think of it as a heart attack, like you think of an adult having a coronary event with a clot in the coronary arteries. Actually, it has nothing to do with that. A cardiac event is the stopping of the heart where it can't adequately perfuse the body. So blood pressure drops, immediate unconsciousness, you're not in a regular rhythm, usually in a regular rhythm like ventricular fibrillation, and you really need to get that rhythm back to normal, you start with CPR, you start with, and you, you hopefully have a, you know, a, an AED, a defibrillator around, let somebody knows how to use it, although we've kind of reached a point where if you just turn it on, it tells you what to do anyway. But the definition of cardiac arrest is not enough perfusion to the body. The heart, you can think of it at the heart probably is beating in some fashion, but not well enough to generate a blood pressure. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, um, 
uh, how prevalent is it with children? Yeah, the prevalence issue, how often is it, is something that, you know, is debated. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've, I've listened to other people talk and they use numbers like one, one in 50,000, one in 75,000. The Parent Heart Network, who, believe it or not, is a group of mothers who have gotten together a very strong lobby for screening. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look on their website, they don't try to answer that question. They will answer the question, how many kids had a sudden cardiac arrest in a given year. But the problem with saying the prevalence is, you know, it's easy to know the numerator. You can count the people who died. It's not so easy to know how many kids were actually out there. But the numbers you hear quoted are somewhere around one in 50,000 to one in 75,000. It's the old story. It's an extremely rare occurrence. You're probably more likely to get hit by a bus, but it's extremely rare unless it happens to you. Okay. You know, so, you know, and, and, you definitely get the feeling in the media that it's happening a lot. And the question you get asked, is it really more prevalent than it used to be? And it's a question that's hard to answer because, you know, when I when I saw you so many years ago, whatever, you know, there was no social media. So if someone died in Kansas, you'd never hear about right. it. Now you hear every single one. And I, I feel like there's a lot more than there used to be. And maybe there is. But I don't think the evidence is there yet to back that up. Interesting. So what are other always factors leading up to why a child would go into cardiac arrest? And, um, you know, is it detectable? Is that why we screen? We do screen. Um, and we, But you can't pick up everything. Just one of the things I talk about regularly is getting back to screening and then how do you stop it. Screening, which we do, we talked about before, we do some of these screenings. The pediatricians are doing their screenings. We do ECG, electrocardiogram screenings. I think just one coming up in CBA in a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do screenings, but we can screen. We'll never pick up everyone. So I try to tell people we screen on the front end and on the back end, we try to make sure every every sporting event, including practices, have AEDs on site and people know how to use them. Mm -hmm. It's amazing if you have a football game you know, varsity football in high school, they've got an ambulance with a whole crew ready to go. Right. But if you've got a soccer practice going on, I don't know if there's anything out there. Right. So we're trying to protect better on the back end. So that's how you screen. But who are the risk factors? You know, family history, genetics. Like I said, if you have a parent who died of a sudden you know, sudden cardiac arrest, there's a bunch of screenings that have to be done. The number one cause of sudden death is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, a thickening of the left ventricle. And that can be picked up with routine electrocardiograms, heart murmurs, family histories. Mm -hmm. There's other things like, you know, anomalous left coronary arteries, which are harder to pick up. There's all these genetic arrhythmias, which can be picked up if we know to look for it genetically, but you can't, we're not doing screening of everything genetically. So we try to do our best on the front end with screening and on the back end, if we miss something with an AED, you know, but you can't pick up everything screening. So you've got to be ready if something happens. That's why we try to get the sporting events to be prepared for the worst. And and hopefully that'll, that'll help. Why is it um, only, well, why do we often hear about screenings related to sports? And is this something that should be, um, you know, not specifically screened for, for kids in sports? Sports is an interesting question because it's very clear that activities increase the incidence of sudden death, at least in regards to sports. That, that much is clear. 
Um, so we're trying to screen sports. Boys actually have, like last time I read the data, have a nine times more incidence of sudden death than girls. Mm. So you keep, that doesn't mean we don't screen the girls, but we know the boys have a lot more higher incidence of sudden death. The, the problem we, we, we get into with, with screening and, and, and what to do with this, with this is um, sc screening has to be done. It's just a difficult thing. We screen on the front end, we screen on the back end, and we're trying to we're just trying to prevent as much sudden death as we can. Which is why, again, we're trying to keep AED. We're trying to prevent the um, the issues from coming up. But uh, but any kids, you know, obviously, if they're active and they're riding their bikes or they're you know they don't specifically have to be enrolled in sports. Yeah, that's the question I was meaning to answer. And I lost my train <laughs> of thought okay. there a bit. But yeah, what is the definition of sports? Do we screen? I mean. We're screening for athletes, but we, like if you if you go out for a basketball team, you will. All the kids are getting screened, but if you go out for a basketball team, they may raise it up. Like if you're playing varsity sports and varsity gym, mm -hmm. like if you're in a college playing NCAA varsity, they're going to do everything. Right. But if you're home playing in your backyard, which can be very intense. We don't screen for that at all. Right. That's right. why, again, like this idea, some people think like all the high school athletes should be screened. Mm -hmm. Well, which athletes would that be? Right. The basketball players, the football players? What about the golfers? Is that, is that considered a docile sport where you don't have to do it? Right. What about the kids who are playing basketball and football in their backyards? So you, again, you've got to get back to the screening process of um, screening the kids going through the pediatrician, going through the primary care. I will add, which is interesting, if you go to other countries like Italy, mm -hmm. they screen their athletes as they define it. So if you're playing if you're playing varsity football, they'll screen you a certain way. But if you're playing football in your backyard, they won't screen that at all. And that's where you really have to be careful about what you're doing. That's why I always keep getting back to, you want to screen starting in the schools and work your way up. Now it is true, that if you're at a certain level, like if you're playing in the NBA, mm -hmm. you're getting EKGs, echocardiograms, MRIs, um, you know, which was made the Bronny James case particularly happy, the you know, son of LeBron James who arrested during practice. It was almost hard to believe because you know he was playing varsity basketball for USC, right. and you know he had to have had everything under the sun to be screened for, Interesting. and it, they didn't pick it up anyway. Yeah. And, um, it just tells you why, what saved him. He had a million dollars worth of screening. It didn't work, and they saved him with an AED on, on the back end. Right. You know? So that's why I always say, we've got to screen on front end, back end. But the question you raised about who gets screened is an interesting question because the we tend to gravitate toward the competitive sports and not the sports being done recreationally. Like if you're playing intramurals, it matters, but sometimes we don't seem to follow that. Is there a certain age group that we you um, advise to begin testing? Well, we, we'll test you know in any age group mm -hmm. depending on, but the adolescents are the particular problem. Like I said, the males, are, the adolescent males are nine times more likely to sudden death than the adolescent females. And I think that has, people think that has to do with the rise of testosterone during puberty. Oh, interesting. So the adolescents, but, We've had sudden death in females also, you know, okay. so you got to be careful. But it, it, it has to, I think puberty increases the incidence of sudden death just from the hormonal changes that go on. That doesn't mean I've never seen an incidence of sudden death in a seven-year-old because we have. Okay. You know. Um, um, so 
Are any of these cases symptomatic prior? Maybe they had certain symptoms that they had kind of didn't, like I was just describing, right? I didn't know what was happening or I didn't, you know, have, um, I was talking about my uh, issues with AFib now as an adult and how, um, you know, I, I had different palpitations and different things that happened, but I just didn't, I kind of, I'm a mom and I'm busy and I'm like, oh, I'm fine. Um, are there circumstances where a child maybe has symptoms, you know, what they're t discussing to a parent that you would advise to um, to get screened or does it kind of happen out of nowhere? That, that that's a, that's a really important question. Interesting. That's one I haven't been asked a lot, you know, because <laughs> the prior history, that's the number one reason probably people come to the office. My child has chest pain. My child got dizzy during sports. My child was exercising and got dizzy and almost fell to the ground. The so-called prior stories. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of these cases have prior stories. Okay. Now, the question, the better question is how many of them saw a cardiologist and were cleared anyway and how many of them never went? We have a lot of mothers who come simply because their child complains, well, my child fainted, my child was dizzy. You know, we have to separate it. Did he faint during peak sports? Did he fall during sports? Did he, did he in this history, did he fall during sports? Did he land and break his nose? Did he chip a tooth? Did he need stitches? Mm -hmm. Did he need anything like that? Or was that a kid in the shower who stood up, hadn't ate or drank anything, fell to the ground and then hydrated and was fine? Mm -hmm. Those are the histories we talk about. The parents don't necessarily separate that history out the way I just did. So we always, they come in a lot. But there are kids, definitely, there are many children whose first episode is their last, as sad as it is. And then there are children who something happens and they've even been the cardiologist and nobody found anything. It's not a perfect science. We, we do the right. best we can. But yeah, I mean, if you, have a, if you have a child who's passing out or is having chest pain, you know, I would always say, is it an exercise or is it at rest? You know, if you have a child who's having chest pain during exercise, that child's going to need to see a cardiologist. Right. And, and sometimes we screen them out. I will tell you at the screening clinics, and we get this in the office. I had one just yesterday come in, but there are arrhythmia problems, some things called Wolf-Parkinson-White and syndromes where people can have fatal arrhythmias. Mm -hmm. We pick those up during screenings, like when we go to CBA and places like that, and then they end up going to procedures done in, you know, in Philadelphia, New York, or wherever, and they get the procedure, which is curative. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, the Bronny James situation, from what I can tell, he has a diagnosed lesion he was born with and they're going to do surgery and he's going to be fine. I'm not aware he ever had symptoms and he was screened, never had symptoms, was screened, was screened and then had to be saved with an AED. So it happens that way. But yeah, to answer your question, some people have symptoms that I wish you know, and then they say, oh, yeah, he was complaining of chest pain. Most of them never see a cardiologist, but a few do. And so then there's others who first episode, unfortunately, was your last episode. That's why, again, you've got to be ready for something happening at any time. You never know. So if you have a child who's asymptomatic and um, maybe has been screened and um, perhaps did not have anything uh, physically wrong with your heart, right? Like that, um, I don't know, I forget what the term is, but when you're... Um, uh, like with my AFib, I don't have anything structurally wrong. No structural structurally disease. wrong, right? So, um, are is it possible for you to um, experience a cardiac arrest without having anything structurally wrong with your heart, or is that is it always a structural issue? Well, 
there's structural in a sense what you're born with, and then there's structural what you're acquired. Okay. Generally, the things you're born with, we do pick up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can be blue at birth. We'll pick that up. A lot of the echo, a lot of the obstetricians are doing amazing work picking up everything before birth these days. So when you say structural, I think it's structural congenital, which you're born with. Right. Those are usually well known, and we have, they have protocols for how to handle them. But the structural that comes later on, as I mentioned previously, the number one cause of sudden death is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, easily picked up on an electrocardiogram and an echocardiogram Mm -hmm. if there's a reason to do one. Now, if they have no symptoms, they may have a heart murmur and that'll get them in a sound, but some of them don't have anything. And Mm -hmm. again, unfortunately, their first episode could be their last. But generally, that's a structural problem. Now, there are other problems like the coronary arteries are not in the right location. They get squeezed during exercise. Those are structural problems too. That one you're technically born with, but it's not something I think about that way. But those are things that are structural. So structural disease can definitely lead to sudden death. But the other problem is you have all these genetic problems which aren't structural. They're called channelopathies and things like that where the genetics, the, the structure of the heart, the way the heart functions at, at a molecular level is not correct. You'll never pick that up. The genetics has gotten really good for it, but we don't pick it up. Now, if your father has it, we'll look for you. Right. But those are the ones that can lead to sudden death with, 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 um, with, with those are the ones that can lead to sudden death. And, and what they're doing now, and it's interesting, but it's late, obviously, is when someone dies suddenly, they will take the blood from the person who died and start looking for things. Oh, interesting. And they can find it and say, well, I know why this one died. He had that. And then... Unfortunately, that child has passed, but the other children can all be screened for within the family. Within the family, so you can save the other kids, and that has happened. Oh wow, that's interesting. So we talk about screening. Um, what exactly is screening? What is involved in screening? Well, again, there's multiple levels of screening. The pediatricians, the primary care people, the people doing the, the nurses and the doctors coming to the schools doing screening, mm-hmm. they have a checklist of what they're asking for. Have you ever been dizzy? Ever had chest pain? You ever passed out? You have a rapid heart rate? You have family history of people who ever collapsed? Do you have somebody under, under 59 or under 50 who had a sudden death with not explained? There's that type of screening which gets you to the cardiologist. Mm-hmm. When you get to the cardiologist, now we want to know, or the same thing, dizzy, chest pain, passing out, rapid heart rate. By the time you've gotten to the cardiologist, they've already been screened out. So they're, they're going to get a full physical. They're going to get an electrocardiogram. 99 out of 100 are going to get an echocardiogram. Right. If they've had problems with exercise, they're going to get a stress test. If there's something in that story that feels genetic, we will do genetic testing, which in the last, you know, when I trained, when I first came out in the practice, when I saw you probably, you know, many, you know, 15, 20, whatever, how many years ago? We'll say, we'll say it's brought closer to 15, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. Let's say 15 years ago. When I saw you 15 years ago, there was no genetic testing. That's how much things have changed. And now we're doing it all over the place. So it's those type of screenings, the genetic screenings, the echocardiograms, the electrocardiograms, the histories, the physical. So there's different. When you say screenings, there's different levels of what, what you refer to as screening. Okay. Um, if you have a gut feeling about your child, and you know maybe they're complaining a little bit about you know um, 
uh, about having heart, you know, chest pain, right? My daughter says all kinds, she has all ailments. She's a little bit of a, you know, I wouldn't say complainer, but she'll come to me, oh my, this hurts, my that hurts. She's, you know, so it's labeled dramatic. I kind of have like a, a sense of whether or not like she's really hurt or if like I really need to get something checked out or if like, you know, something serious. So, um, you know, if you feel as though maybe your child has been screened in school, but is also complaining about certain things, where, what resources are available to them? Like, what would you advise just going to the pediatrician, just explaining, making an appointment with the cardiologist? Um, you also mentioned different screenings available in the community. So what um, what should they do? Yeah, it, it always starts with the pediatrician, the primary care who can sort this out. I don't expect a mother or you know a, a parent to be saying, well, did that chest pain occur with exercise? Was it at rest? Were you in the shower? Did you fall down and hurt yourself? That's not their job. They know there's something somebody passed. They know their child passed out. They know the child's complaining of chest pain. Their job is to take it to the pediatrician and tell the story. The pediatrician will then decide, is this enough to go to a pediatric cardiologist? Some parents will go anyway, mm -hmm. and that's their right to do. It's their yeah. child. But right. it starts with the pediatrician. It starts with that multi-point screening to decide whether this one should go to the cardiologist. We don't see every child with chest pain. We don't see every child with a heart murmur. We don't even see every child that passes out. Right. They're screened out at the pediatrician level. Okay. We will see people who just want to come anyway because they're worried about their child and we try to reassure them. But everything starts at the primary care level. Um, we'll ask a question twofold. One, um, if you do detect some type of preliminary, you know, either defect or, you know, possible um, chance, I guess, right, of, of developing some type of issue. Um, is there something that um, it can be treated with or is that kind of like a, a opening a can of worms here? And also any preventative measures um, for children? Well, it all depends what it is. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can start with, if you, it, I'd have, you'd have to go almost diagnose, that's what you say gotcha. about the can of worms, you'd yeah. almost have to go diagnosis by diagnosis. Right. Some things are nothing to worry. Some things can be corrected with a procedure. Mm -hmm. Some things are corrected with surgery. Most things don't need anything. Got Some it. things need medication. Some things that are severe, there is a restriction from sports. It all it all is what, you know, depends what we're talking about there. Uh, what you talked about earlier with vasovagal syncope, we would never restrict that from sports right. or, any, or anything like that. But certain things you'd have to go case by case. Um, I will tell you there is more of a tendency than ever to clear almost everybody for sports. We still don't clear everyone, but I'm finding more pe I'm finding people being cleared for sports with recommendations that we didn't use to clear from sports. I'm finding people where the parents are are being told, "Have your own AED. Don't believe anything that anyone else has one and know how to use it." Oh. We, kids that were 10 years ago we never would have cleared for sports are now getting cleared. Like I, the thing, I don't probably didn't mention it today, but prolonged QT syndrome is something we see a lot of. Mm -hmm. And 10 years ago, we never would have cleared them for sports. Now we have them on medication. We're bringing AEDs on site to the sports fields and we're clearing them for sports. But those are the type of things, prolonged QT, Wolf Parkinson White, those are the type of things we do at these, we do a lot of ECG screenings and things like that. And, um, you know, but it, it's, it, we're getting far more aggressive on the kids we clear than what we used to. Interesting. Let's talk a little bit about overall heart health in children and families. Um, what are your recommendations and has that changed, you know, since you began practicing? Well, it's always back to the basics. If we're just talking about general heart health, mm -hmm. it's always going to be 
you know, health screenings. It's always it's always going to be diet and exercise and try to stay in shape. Obesity, you know, and you know, is really just become overwhelming in this country. The amount of kids that come in with high body mass indexes are just through the roof. You know, I mean, you know, if you're not, if you're not going to exercise, and you're going to go to McDonald's every day. Chances are you're going to have a high cholesterol. And, and that's another thing we didn't talk about. We're sp- more specifically, you know, talking about athletes, but also, do you see cardiac arrest in child in kids with childhood obesity it's rare okay but we're setting you know that gets into another story we're setting the stage for later on because to rephrase your question i would say when do cholesterol plaques start to form in the coronary arteries it can be seven or eight years old wow or even earlier so the question becomes i've never seen a 15 year old have a heart attack from obesity and cholesterol and HDLs and LDLs and this, with one exception, the transplants have terrible problems with it, but that's a whole other issue. And of course, there's familial homozygous hypercholesterolemia, which people talk about and nobody ever sees, unfortunately, it's very rare. But overall, no, they don't have heart attacks, but they're setting the stage for later on. You know, if, if you're going to be, you know, you can get, you can always improve it by getting better exercise and uh, more sports, active sports. That, by the way, is why, I, when I mentioned before, we're clearing more and more kids for sports. This is something we're left with. All of us in the office deal with this all the time. Mm-hmm. You get a child coming in who's in the seventh or eighth grade. He weighs 300 pounds, and the gym teacher just sees him as a great guy playing the defensive line, clogging the line or something like that, so they want him to play. Right. Pediatrician won't clear him. So I see them in the office, we all do, and then we're left with the question, do we clear him or don't we clear him? And if you clear him, he's at least at more theoretical risk than the other kids. Oh. But if you don't clear him, he'll go home and play with his computer and put on 20 more pounds. Totally. So I do tend to clear him with the warning to stay hydrated if you don't feel well, mm. because I think it's the lesser of two evils. But we do clear those kids. You Interesting. Know, you know, you ask the question, if you're overweight, do they have childhood obesity lead to heart attacks and things like that? I've not seen it, but I would imagine if you put enough people out there who are obese and you put them in competitive sports, somebody's going to, and it probably has happened. But that's why we're always pushing to get these kids into sports. We don't want them sitting home we trading in a congenital problem or a, or, a, or a fatal rhythm problem for an obesity problem, mm-hmm. which is why I think the tendency is to be more aggressive with allowing sports. Okay. Um, so I advise daily exercise overall for heart health. Definitely. Half hour? Half a, they say half an hour to an hour. Okay. Watch your diet better, you know. I, um, what are some good diet tips just for moms to know for, for overall heart health now? Well, you want to stay away from the, the, you know, the meats, the cheeses, the high cholesterol products. You want to stay more with the high protein products. Um, just a healthy diet. I mean, there's things that make sense. The salads, the fruits, the vegetables. By the way, you know, nobody could live that life forever. It's like I, I tell people all the time, stay away from caffeine. It'll stimulate caffeine. Yeah. Race. Mm-hmm. Caffeine's a diuretic. You know, if you're, if you're having vasovagal syncope and you take caffeine, it's a terrible diuretic. Besides, it makes your heart race. Yep. But, you know, nobody nobody's going to live life perfectly. We don't. Nobody does. You right. know, so if, like if, I, if somebody says, I'm just saying, don't be having 10 cups of uh, Red Bull every day or something like that. But, you know, if I say try to live the most healthy life you can, try to exercise, try to get into varsity sports like soccer and, and, and soccer and, and basketball that have high intensity isotonic sports. It's interesting. I try to the isometric sports. I have kids coming in weightlifting. They look great. They're 300 pounds and they look great. Except 
Weightlifting's not the greatest thing for sports like running is or different types of sports. So right. I tried I try to get them more into running sports, but any kind of sports is better than no sports. And you think running's good overall for, yeah. for your health? Running is definitely considered like isotonic sports, Got running, it. swimming. Those are really great sports. There's the isometric sports like weightlifting, benching. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not quite as good because they put a lot of pressure in the heart. What about those um, high caffeine um, drinks? I can't even think of the name of one, but they're like extreme caffeine and all the kids, they market them to kids. Is that becoming a bigger issue? You mean the Red Bull and the Monster and Not all just, but there's even more, I think now, I I like I crazy I amounts of caffeine. And yeah, I, I, um, I couldn't name them all either. Right, right. The, the five minute energy drink, yeah, five, like out, five hour stuff. energy drink or whatever. Um, there's really no reason to ever drink those. Right. I mean, like I have a sign in my office that says, you know, doctors stay, say stay away from high energy drinks. I, w I should separate the high, the high energy drinks. Um, you know, like I said, the high caffeine, the ones who we used to think no dose was a lot when we took a pill. These things are like 10 of them. Yeah. Um, that's different than the, than the, um, the hydration drinks, the Gatorades and the vitamin waters and the thing. There's a hundred of those brands mm -hmm. out there too. Those are fine. Those are, there's no, ca there's limited to no caffeine in those. Mm -hmm. um, the problem with those, and I tell people this all the time, if you're going to be a competitive athlete and burn off three, three to 5,000 calories a day, Gatorade is fine. If you're going to sit at your computer all day and drink Gatorade, you're going to put, there's a lot of calories in that a stuff. Lot of sugar. So you have to, a lot of sugar, a yeah. lot of calories. You have to be careful. But for a competitive athlete, the, the you know the the hydration drinks like um, Gatorade and the rest of them um, are fine. Electrolytes They're, are important. Electrolytes are important. But I, I'll tell you something with that, and I think most of us tell this. Water is probably the best thing you can take. I don't think you can run out of like. People say, oh, I should have Gatorade for the electrolytes. Now, if you're a competitive athlete sweating all the time, I wouldn't say, no, go ahead, take your Gatorade. But most of us say, just take water, you'll be fine. Interesting. But the cat, but the the. The caffeine hyphenated, the, ca the caffeine drinks, the Red Bulls, the Monsters, the five-hour energy drink, and 10 more that you and I could name. Most people think there's no need for them ever in sports, you okay. know, so, and I, I think that's true. We don't, rec we, we never, rec and the other problem is they're so, besides the fact your heart will pound out of your chest, they're so dehydrating. They strike me more as the college students who are studying all night rather than the athletes. Right, right, makes sense, okay. Um, all helpful information. This has been really eye-opening, I'm sure, for, for so many parents and, you know, really good to kind of dispel what is, you know, fact over fiction and a lot of, um, like, a, a lot of information out there. So um, I hope that, you know, so many listening can take this and, and um, apply it to, you know, to their own um, circumstances and, the, and their children's um, uh, sports and, and non-sports environments, right? Um, you mentioned uh, some community screenings. I think you mentioned one coming up at CBID. Um, does Hackensack host them throughout the year? And also, um, where can they find more information about it? Yeah, Hackensack, we do them in concert with Hackensack. We're very associated with Hackensack. Hackensack Meridian, mostly Jersey Shore, K.O. Nanian mm -hmm. uh, Children's Hospital. We do, you know, before COVID, we were doing three or four a year. We've come up again now. We're doing two to three a year. We do a, we do at least one a year at St. John Vianney, and that has to do with Nicole's Heart Foundation, which... Um, a mother has gotten very active with her daughter, unfortunately passed away from one of the many causes we discussed today. And she's been, she has a foundation that funds this. And we've been, I think her child, if I remember, was at St. John Vianney. So we do at least one a year there. We have one coming up in a couple of weeks 
at CBA. Mm -hmm. um, I think you probably have to be a CBA student, but I'm never quite sure how that works. Okay. Hackensack Meridian actually organizes all of these things at this point. They work with the Heart Foundation. They also are there on site. And while we do the ECG screenings, remember I talked about the front end with this and the back end yeah. with AEDs. They're there teaching how to do CPR and AEDs on site. So they're doing the other things. So we, we always do them in concert. So we try to do three or four a year if any high school or middle school wants it done, they should probably contact Jersey Shore. You're going to ask me who, and no, I'm, no, that's I'm okay. not quite we, sure yeah, either. We can find out. We'll <laughs> put it all in the um, in the text here for um, to link in, in yeah. the podcast. It's, yeah. a, it's a big court. It's a big hospital. I'm never quite sure who I'm, who I'm contacting, <laughs> yeah. but I'm sure there's plenty of people you can contact. And how would a, um, a parent make an appointment with your practice? Well, if you wanted to make an appointment with our practice, you would either call. You know, it's Alpert Sales Castro Pediatric Cardiology. It's easily found. We're offices in Brick and Middletown. Mm -hmm. And if you feel a need to come see us or the pediatrician refers you, just call our number at 732-458-9666. If you can't remember that, you should look on the website. Yeah. Everybody's I'll put got it website. all in the text here so you can link it and uh, I'll link the, the site too. So, well, thank you so much. This yeah. has been great. Um, I hope that, you know, a lot of parents got T took you know a little nugget from this and uh, can feel a little bit better about you know um, about putting their kids in sports and getting them screened. I hope so. um, uh, this coming. Um, Sunday, October 22nd, is our uh, fall festival, the Mammoth Moms Fall Festival at Bell Works here in Homedale, New Jersey. Come out for Touch a Truck. We have um, a whole indoor kid zone. We have over 80 vendors. So it's a week before um, it's a week before Halloween, which essentially, like I think the day after Halloween these days is Christmas, basically. It just starts the holiday season. So you can shop a little bit early. We're going to have really great boutique vendors here, um, lots of different community businesses that are going to come out. Um, a lot of them will have candy so kids can come in costume. We have uh, performances happening from Axelrod. Um, Performing Arts Center. We have um, a magician doing a show. We have Autocades, which is an indoor um, indoor video game um, truck outside at the Touch a Truck. We have all kinds of cranes and um, excavators and dump trucks and all kinds of fun stuff. Face painters, um, character station. I could go on and on. Yoga. Um, my my good friend who runs my pe my peace place is going to have some um, very cool mindfulness and um, mommy and me yoga um, sessions happening throughout the day. So, so much to do from 11 to 3. Please join us. We're excited to kick off the holiday season here in Monmouth County. And more details can be found also in the text here. So that is all. Enjoy your fall day and we'll see you guys soon.